Today I'll be reading the opinion of the court in Trump v. Hawaii, also known as the Muslim travel ban case, in which former President Donald Trump issued Proclamation Number 9645, asserting that it sought to improve the procedures used to screen the citizens of particular countries to determine whether they present public safety threats if permitted to enter the United States. So, the proclamation placed entry restrictions on nationals from eight foreign countries whose systems for sharing information about those nationals were deemed inadequate by the former president. There were several questions before the court in this case. First, whether the president had the statutory authority to issue the proclamation to begin with. Also, whether the plaintiff's challenge to such authority was justiciable in federal court whether the global injunction barring enforcement of certain parts of the proclamation was impermissibly overbroad, and finally, whether the proclamation violated the Establishment Clause of the Constitution. And now, the 2018 Opinion of the Court in Trump v. Hawaii. Chief Justice Roberts delivered the opinion of the court. Under the Immigration and Nationality Act, foreign nationals seeking entry into the United States undergo a vetting process to ensure that they satisfy the numerous requirements for admission. The act also vests the president with authority to restrict the entry of aliens whenever he finds that their entry would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Relying on that delegation, the president concluded that it was necessary to impose entry restrictions on nationals of countries that do not share adequate information for an informed entry determination, or that otherwise present national security risks. The plaintiffs in this litigation, respondents here, challenged the application of those entry restrictions to certain aliens abroad. We now decide whether the President had authority under the Act to issue the proclamation and whether the entry policy violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Shortly after taking office, President Trump signed Executive Order No. 13769, or Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States, or EO-1. EO-1 directed the Secretary of Homeland Security to conduct a review to examine the adequacy of information provided by foreign governments about their nationals seeking to enter the United States. Pending that review, the order suspended for 90 days the entry of foreign nationals from seven countries, Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen that had been previously identified by Congress or prior administrations as posing heightened terrorism risks. The District Court for the Western District of Washington entered a temporary restraining order blocking the entry restrictions, and the Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit denied the government's request to stay that order. In response, 
the president revoked EO-1, replacing it with Executive Order 13780, or EO-2, which again directed a worldwide review. Citing investigative burdens on agencies and the need to diminish the risk that dangerous individuals would enter without adequate vetting, EO-2 also temporarily restricted the entry of foreign nationals from six of the countries covered by EO-1, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. The order explained that those countries had been selected because each is a state sponsor of terrorism, has been significantly compromised by terrorist organizations, or contains active conflict zones. The entry restriction was to stay in effect for 90 days, pending completion of the worldwide review. These interim measures were immediately challenged in court. The district courts for the districts of Maryland and Hawaii entered nationwide preliminary injunctions barring enforcement of the entry suspension, and the respective courts of appeals upheld those injunctions, albeit on different grounds. This court granted certiorari and stayed the injunctions, allowing the entry suspension to go into effect with respect to foreign nationals who lacked a credible claim of a bona fide relationship with a person or entity in the United States. The temporary restrictions in EO2 expired before this court took any action, and we vacated the lower court decisions as moot. On September 24, 2017, after completion of the worldwide review, the President issued the proclamation before us, Proclamation Number 9645. The proclamation sought to improve vetting procedures by identifying ongoing deficiencies in the information needed to assess whether nationals of particular countries present public safety threats. To further that purpose, the proclamation placed entry restrictions on the nationals of eight foreign states whose systems for managing and sharing information about their nationals the president deemed inadequate. The proclamation described how foreign states were selected for inclusion based on the review undertaken pursuant to EO2. As part of that review, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, in consultation with the State Department and several intelligence agencies, developed a baseline for the information required from foreign governments to confirm the identity of individuals seeking entry into the United States and to determine whether those individuals pose a security threat. The baseline included three components. The first, identity management information, focused on whether a foreign government ensures the integrity of travel documents by issuing electronic passports, reporting lost or stolen passports, and making available additional identity-related information. Second, the agencies considered the extent to which the country discloses information on criminal history and suspected terrorist links, provides travel document exemplars, and facilitates the U.S. government's receipt of information about airline passengers and crews traveling to the United States. Finally, 
the agencies weighed various indicators of national security risk, including whether the foreign state is a known or potential terrorist safe haven and whether it regularly declines to receive returning nationals following final orders of removal from the United States. DHS collected and evaluated data regarding all foreign governments. It identified 16 countries as having deficient information-sharing practices and presenting national security concerns, and another 31 countries as at risk of similarly failing to meet the baseline. The State Department then undertook diplomatic efforts over a 50-day period to encourage all foreign governments to improve their practices. As a result of that effort, numerous countries provided DHS with travel document exemplars and agreed to share information on known or suspected terrorists. Following the 50-day period, the Acting Secretary of Homeland Security concluded that eight countries, Chad, Iran, Iraq, Libya, North Korea, Syria, Venezuela, and Yemen, remained deficient in terms of their risk profile and willingness to provide requested information. The acting secretary recommended that the president impose entry restrictions on certain nationals from all of those countries, except Iraq. She also concluded that although Somalia generally satisfied the information-sharing component of the baseline standards, its identity management deficiencies and significant terrorist presence presented special circumstances justifying additional limitations. She therefore recommended entry limitations for certain nationals of that country. As for Iraq, the acting secretary found that entry limitations on its nationals were not warranted given the close cooperative relationship between the U.S. and Iraqi governments and Iraq's commitment to combating ISIS. After consulting with multiple cabinet members and other officials, the president adopted the acting secretary's recommendations and issued the proclamation, invoking his authority under 8 U.S.C. sections 1182F and 1185A the president determined that certain entry restrictions were necessary to prevent the entry of those foreign nationals about whom the United States government lacks sufficient information. Illicit improved identity management and information-sharing protocols and practices from foreign governments, and otherwise advance the foreign policy, national security, and counterterrorism objectives of the United States. The president explained that these restrictions would be the most likely to encourage cooperation while protecting the United States until such time as improvements occur. The proclamation imposed a range of restrictions that vary based on the distinct circumstances in each of the eight countries. For countries that do not cooperate with the United States in identifying security risks, Iran, North Korea, and Syria, the proclamation suspends entry of all nationals, except for Iranians seeking non-immigrant student and exchange visitor visas. For countries that have information-sharing deficiencies 
but are nonetheless valuable counterterrorism partners, Chad, Libya, and Yemen. It restricts entry of nationals seeking immigrant visas and non-immigrant business or tourist visas. Because Somalia generally satisfies the baseline standards, but was found to present special risk factors, the proclamation suspends entry of nationals seeking immigrant visas and requires additional scrutiny of nationals seeking non-immigrant visas. And for Venezuela, which refuses to cooperate in information sharing, but for which alternative means are available to identify its nationals, the proclamation limits entry only of certain government officials and their family members on non-immigrant business or tourist visas. The proclamation exempts lawful permanent residents and foreign nationals who have been granted asylum. It also provides for case-by-case waivers when a foreign national demonstrates undue hardship and that his entry is in the national interest and would not pose a threat to public safety. The proclamation further directs DHS to assess on a continuing basis whether entry restrictions should be modified or continued, and to report to the president every 180 days. Upon completion of the first such review period, the president, on the recommendation of the Secretary of Homeland Security, determined that Chad had sufficiently improved its practices, and he accordingly lifted restrictions on its nationals. Section B. Plaintiffs in this case are the State of Hawaii, three individuals, and the Muslim Association of Hawaii. The state operates the University of Hawaii system, which recruits students and faculty from the designated countries. The three individual plaintiffs are U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents who have relatives from Iran, Syria, and Yemen, applying for immigrant or non-immigrant visas. The association is a non-profit organization that operates a mosque in Hawaii. Plaintiffs challenge the proclamation, except as applied to North Korea and Venezuela, on several grounds. As relevant here, they argued that the proclamation contravenes provisions in the Immigration and Nationality Act, or INA. Plaintiffs further claimed that the proclamation violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment because it was motivated not by concerns pertaining to national security, but by animus toward Islam. The District Court granted a nationwide preliminary injunction barring enforcement of the entry restrictions. The court concluded that the proclamation violated two provisions of the INA because the president did not make sufficient findings that the entry of the covered foreign nationals would be detrimental to the national interest and because the policy discriminates against immigrant visa applicants on the basis of nationality. The government requested expedited briefing and sought a stay pending appeal. The Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit granted a partial stay, permitting enforcement of the proclamation with respect to foreign nationals 
who lack a bona fide relationship with the United States. This court then stayed the injunction in full pending disposition of the government's appeal. The Court of Appeals affirmed. The court first held that the proclamation exceeds the president's authority under Section 1182F. In its view, that provision authorizes only a temporary suspension of entry in response to exigencies that Congress would be ill-equipped to address. The court further reasoned that the proclamation conflicts with the INA's finely reticulated regulatory scheme by addressing matters of immigration already passed upon by Congress. The Ninth Circuit then turned to Section 1152A1A and determined that the entry restrictions also contravene the prohibition on nationality-based discrimination in the issuance of immigrant visas. The court did not reach plaintiff's establishment clause claim. We granted certiorari. Part 2 Before addressing the merits of plaintiff's statutory claims, we consider whether we have authority to do so. The government argues that plaintiff's challenge to the proclamation under the INA is not justiciable. Relying on the doctrine of consular non-reviewability, the government contends that because aliens have no claim of right to enter the United States, and because exclusion of aliens is a fundamental act of sovereignty by the political branches, review of an exclusion decision is not within the province of any court unless expressly authorized by law. According to the government, that principle barring review is reflected in the INA, which sets forth a comprehensive framework for review of orders of removal, but authorizes judicial review only for aliens physically present in the United States. The justiciability of plaintiffs' challenge under the INA presents a difficult question. The government made similar arguments that no judicial review was available in Sale v. Haitian Centers Council, 1993. The court in that case, however, went on to consider on the merits a statutory claim like the one before us without addressing the issue of reviewability. The government does not argue that the doctrine of consular non-reviewability goes to the court's jurisdiction, nor does it point to any provision of the INA that expressly strips the court of jurisdiction over plaintiffs' claims. As a result, we may assume without deciding that plaintiffs' statutory claims are reviewable, notwithstanding consular non-reviewability or any other statutory non-reviewability issue, and we proceed on that basis. Part 3. The INA establishes numerous grounds on which an alien abroad may be inadmissible to the United States and ineligible for a visa. Congress has also delegated to the President authority to suspend or restrict the entry of aliens in certain circumstances. The principal source of that authority enables the President to suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens, 
whenever he finds that their entry would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. Plaintiffs argue that the proclamation is not a valid exercise of the president's authority under the INA. In their view, Section 1182F confers only a residual power to temporarily halt the entry of a discrete group of aliens engaged in harmful conduct. They also assert that the proclamation violates another provision of the INA because it discriminates on the basis of nationality in the issuance of immigrant visas. By its plain language, Section 1182F grants the President broad discretion to suspend the entry of aliens into the United States. The President lawfully exercised that discretion based on his findings following a worldwide multi-agency review that entry of the covered aliens would be detrimental to the national interest and plaintiffs' attempts to identify a conflict with other provisions in the INA and their appeal to the statute's purposes and legislative history fail to overcome the clear statutory language. The text of Section 1182F states, Whenever the President finds that the entry of any aliens or of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens, or any class of aliens, as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. By its terms, Section 1182F exudes deference to the President in every clause. It entrusts to the President the decisions whether and when to suspend entry, for how long, and on what conditions. It is therefore unsurprising that we have previously observed that Section 1182F vests the President with ample power to impose entry restrictions in addition to those elsewhere enumerated in the INA. The proclamation falls well within this comprehensive delegation. The sole prerequisite set forth in Section 1182F is that the President find that the entry of the covered aliens would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. The President has undoubtedly fulfilled that requirement here. He first ordered DHS and other agencies to conduct a comprehensive evaluation of every single country's compliance with the Information and Risk Assessment Baseline. The President then issued a proclamation setting forth extensive findings describing how deficiencies in the practices of select foreign governments, several of which are state sponsors of terrorism, deprive the government of sufficient information to assess the risks those countries' nationals pose to the United States. Based on that review, the President found that it was in the national interest to restrict entry of aliens who could not be vetted with adequate information, both to protect national security and public safety, and to induce improvement by their home countries.
The proclamation therefore crafted country-specific restrictions that would be most likely to encourage cooperation given each country's distinct circumstances, while securing the nation until such time as improvements occur. Plaintiffs believe that these findings are insufficient. They argue, as an initial matter, that the proclamation fails to provide a persuasive rationale for why nationality alone renders the covered foreign nationals as a security risk. And they further discount the president's stated concern about deficient vetting because the proclamation allows many aliens from the designated countries to enter on non-immigrant visas. Such arguments are grounded on the premise that Section 1182F not only requires the president to make a finding that entry would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, but also to explain that finding with sufficient detail to enable judicial review. That premise is questionable. But even assuming that some form of review is appropriate, plaintiffs' attacks on the sufficiency of the president's findings cannot be sustained. The 12-page proclamation, which thoroughly describes the process, agency evaluations, and recommendations underlying the president's chosen restrictions, is more detailed than any prior order a president has issued under Section 1182F. Moreover, plaintiffs' request for a searching inquiry into the persuasiveness of the president's justifications is consistent with the broad statutory text and the deference traditionally accorded the president in this sphere. Whether the president's chosen method of addressing perceived risks is justified from a policy perspective is irrelevant to the scope of his Section 1182F authority. And when the president adopts a preventative measure in the context of international affairs and national security, he is not required to conclusively link all of the pieces in the puzzle before courts grant weight to his empirical conclusions. The proclamation also comports with the remaining textual limits in Section 1182F. We agree with plaintiffs that the word suspend often connotes a deferral till later. But that does not mean that the president is required to prescribe in advance a fixed end date for the entry restrictions. Section 1182F authorizes the president to suspend entry for such period as he shall deem necessary. It follows that when a president suspends entry in response to a diplomatic dispute or policy concern, he may link the duration of those restrictions, implicitly or explicitly, to the resolution of the triggering condition. In fact, not one of the 43 suspension orders issued prior to this litigation has specified a precise end date. Like its predecessors, the proclamation makes clear that its conditional restrictions will remain in force only so long as necessary to address the identified inadequacies and risks within the covered nations. Indeed, after the initial review period, 
the president determined that Chad had made sufficient improvements to its identity management protocols, and he accordingly lifted the entry suspension on its nationals. Finally, the proclamation properly identifies a class of aliens, nationals of select countries, whose entry is suspended. Plaintiffs argue that class must refer to a well-defined group of individuals who share a common characteristic apart from nationality. But the text of Section 1182F, of course, does not say that. And the word class comfortably encompasses a group of people linked by nationality. Plaintiffs also contend that the class cannot be overbroad, but that simply amounts to an unspoken tailoring requirement found nowhere in Congress's grant of authority to suspend entry of not only any class of aliens, but all aliens. In short, the language of Section 1182F is clear, and the proclamation does not exceed any textual limit on the President's authority. We've come to the end of Part 1 of this opinion, but don't worry, the next episode will pick up right where we left off. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.